Amen. So we are going to continue. I told you that we are going to wrap up First Peter today, but we, we really are going to continue with one more week. So next week, we're going to have the final greeting that Peter gives. Actually, not his final greeting because he writes another letter. We're going to get into Second Peter in the fall, but the conclusion of First Peter, his final greeting there, we're going to look at that next Sunday. And so then that will lead us to when we finish First Peter on June the 6th, we're going to be doing a series called Reformation. And so I want to encourage you to begin to prepare your hearts for this series. This is going to be a series on why we are Protestant, why we are Protestant. And we're going to talk about the Protestant Reformation. Why was the Protestant Reformation necessary? And what are the core tenets of the Reformation? And why do we worship the way that we do? Why are we not Catholic? Why are we Protestant? And so I want to encourage you, June 6th, it's going to go for six weeks. So I'm going to do an, an introductory message on June 6th, and then we're going to go for five weeks after that. And so I want to encourage you to come, invite your friends, your family that may be interested in that, in that subject, and I'm believing that God's going to do a work through that series. So we are in week six of Kingdom Submission, and, and we are, we've been on this journey looking at submission. What does submission look like? in the life of, of a Christian. So we've, we went all the way back to government, right? Where Peter encouraged the first century church to be submitted to the government and, and, and then to submit even, even when there are unjust rulers. So you, you have to submit and entrust your life to God. And then we talked about submission in marriage and we talked about submission, submission in the workplace and we talked about submission in the church, that, that submission has come to the church that we should have attitudes of love and care for one another within the body of Christ. And now we're going to look at a subject here that's connected with leadership within the church. We're going to look at the pastoral role within the life of a local church and how the shepherd, the elder, the pastor is called to be submitted to God so that he can be submitted to and to serve those that God has called him to lead and to serve. So if you were to ask Somebody who a pastor is to be, anybody, you got the word on, on the street. You went around and you said, what is a pastor supposed to do? Who is a pastor to be? You would get lots of different answers, wouldn't you? You would get answers that would vary from a pastor needs to be a great communicator, needs to be able to get up there and he's got to be able to communicate so well to keep people's attention. He's got to be able to speak to all the issues of the day. Or you, you get an answer that maybe a pastor needs to be a CEO. He needs to be able to run the church like you run a business. He's got to be a great entrepreneur. He's, he's, he's got he's to have a great personality. He's got to be charismatic in his personality. He's got to be all things to all people. And you get all these different ideas of what a pastor is to be. And really, Scripture is what tells us most clearly what, a, what an elder, a pastor, is to be. And some of you may think, well, why are we talking about what a pastor's to be on a Sunday morning? Shouldn't, shouldn't you talk about that at a pastor's conference and you've got a room full of pastors and you're trying to remind them of what they're called to be and to do? And my answer to that is, is that I think that everything in God's word is profitable for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. And so that every word is, is inspired. And I, and I think that this subject of who a pastor is to be is of utmost importance in your life. It's of utmost importance in your life because who you connect yourself to, what you are listening to, who you are listening to as a spiritual leader and as a pastor matters so much today. It matters what you're listening to and what you are receiving in your life. What words are you receiving? What, what sources are you getting truth from? So it matters so much and we're going to see how that unfolds. But would you pray with me before we dive in to the text? God, I, I, I thank you. Thank you for today. Thank you 
for your word. And God, I pray that as we dive into your word, we look at, at what a pastor is to be and how he is to function. Lord, I pray that, that we would all have receptive ears to hear what it is that you would say to us here today. And God, I pray that you would help me to open my mouth, to preach your word, and to exalt Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, in 1 Peter 4, we're, we're, we're in 1 Peter 5, verses 1 through 4, but in 1 Peter 4, we covered this a few weeks back. Listen to this verse in 1 Peter four seventeen. It says, For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel of God? So Peter says in chapter 4 that judgment must begin in the household of God. And then he pivots into chapter 5 and he begins to address the pastors of the church, the elders. He calls them elders. The word elder, pastor, bishop, overseer in scripture, they're interchangeable terms to mean pastor and shepherd. Okay? And so he says judgment must begin at the household of God. That the, that the church of God must look inward and that they, they must be right before the Lord, walking in holiness, pursuing the Lord. They must be a testimony to the outside world of what it looks like to follow after Christ. Judgment must begin at the household of God. And then in chapter 5, he says this. Look at the text we're going to cover. So, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So who is an elder to be? Who is a pastor elder to be? This text gives the job description to the pastor. So you guys really, you get to sit in and listen on my job description here today. You get to sit in and listen on the job description of all those that are pastors and elders here today. You get to listen to what we are called to do and you're gonna see how it makes an impact in your life. So who is a pastor to be according to that text in 1 Peter 5? The first thought I have from this text is that a a pastor is not to lead with a hero complex. A pastor is not to lead with a hero complex. And if we go back to that question that I started with, if you were to ask people who a pastor is to be, that would be one of the the ideas that would be out there is that a pastor is the man. You look at the modern day church, you, you look at how the church is formed and shaped in a lot of places and the church rises or it falls on the personality, the power, and the ability of one man. But a pastor should not lead with a hero complex. Look, look, look what it, look what the text says. This is where we get this from. It says, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. I I exhort the elders plural among you as a fellow elder singular. Peter says, I'm a elder. I'm a pastor. I'm a shepherd. But there are elders pastors, shepherds that are among you. I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. So what do we see here? We see that Peter is addressing that there are multiple elders within the life of the congregation that is reading this letter. Peter doesn't say, I exhort the elder that's among you, the pastor, or the pastor among you. He says, he says I exhort the elders among you. So a hero complex in leadership as a pastor is believing that you don't need anyone. 
That's what a hero complex is. In, in any area of, of your life, whether you're a, a pastor or a business owner or you're a husband or, or a wife, how, how many husbands realize you need your wife? Especially when you have little kids. Oh, mercy. So <laughs> protect my wife. Hedge of protection over that woman. Right? Where the hero complex says that I don't need anybody. I, I got it. I got it. And that is so, that is so prideful. It's so disgusting to listen to when somebody, that's what you, you get from them, that exudes from them, that they got it. I got to figure it out. I know what I'm doing. I've, I've, I've got all the great ideas. No one else has any good ideas. Oh, that's a hero complex. If, if a church's success or failure is contingent upon one man, and then that church has the wrong foundation. If a church's success or failure is contingent upon one man, then that church has the wrong foundation. If, if, if I'm here today and I'm gone tomorrow, and when I'm gone tomorrow, the church falls and, and fails and it flops, well, then it was built on the wrong foundation. The church does not rise or fall based upon man. This church is God's church. This church belongs to God. So we can't lead as a pastor, as pastors, we cannot lead with a hero complex. This is a biblical pattern that it takes a multiplicity of leaders, a multiplicity of elders and pastors to lead and to shepherd a congregation. Look what, look what happened to Moses. You remember Moses? He leads, God uses him to lead the children of Israel out of the wilderness, out of Egyptian slavery. And then Moses starts trying to be the hero. He has all these hundreds of thousands of people that are coming to him to get advice. And they're coming. And he's staying up day after day and night after night. And he's hearing. He's counseling. Because why? He's got the answer. And people want to come to Moses. Look, what, look what's happening in Exodus 18. The next day Moses sat to judge the people. And the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw what he was doing for the people, he said, what is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone? And all the people stand around you from morning till evening. He says, he says, he says, Moses, what are you doing? He says, you're going to wear yourself out. How many of you men like to listen to your father-in-law? <laughs> yeah, there's some of you do, right? <laughs> but, 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 but look, I, I, I remember sometimes with my father-in-law, if he was here, I would tell, I'd say the same thing. Uh, can you imagine Jethro coming up to Moses? Hey, dude. You're doing this the wrong way. I'd, you know, maybe Moses was all holy and righteous and didn't, and didn't push back any. But if he was like, if he was a human, I would imagine he probably looked at Jethro and said, who died and made you king? <laughs> but listen to Jethro's argument. Exodus 18, Moses' father-in-law said to him, what, are you, what you're doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out for the thing is too heavy for you. You were not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice. Wow. <laughs> obey my voice. I will give you advice and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. And you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men. Uh-huh. I underlined that for you. Look for able men from all the people. Men who, what? There's qualifications. If you're going to be a leader, a shepherd, an elder, a pastor, men who fear God, who are trustworthy, who hate a bribe, who are not in it for the money, 
And place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you that they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you. And you will be able to endure. And all this people will go their way in peace. Isn't that so good? It's the Old Testament principle, but look at the New Testament principle. Look at what it says in Titus chapter 1 verse 5. This is Paul talking to Titus. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and to appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Paul's admonition to Timothy, 2 Timothy 2. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So the temptation for every pastor is to believe that they don't need help and then also to believe that they don't need accountability. That's a temptation. But the biblical pattern in the life of the church is to have a team of elders and pastors who work together in the shepherding of the congregation. Do you follow what I'm, what, what I'm saying here, what scripture is laying out for us through the story of Moses, but also in the New Testament, what we see in 1 Peter here in, in chapter 5? That, that, that the way that God has established is that in the life of a congregation, there would be multiple elders that would lead together to shepherd God's people together. Jeremy Ryan, he wrote a book called Church Elders. He says this about a multiplicity of elders. He says, just as adding judges relieved Moses, so having multiple elders distributes the weight of ministry. Plurality also enables the church to access the diverse gifting among the elders so that each one operates out of his strengths. Although all the elders bear the same responsibilities, they bring an assortment of talents and experiences to the mix. Did you see the wisdom of that? So I want to make an announcement to you. I had an announcement today about Clyde and Teresa. I'm going to make another announcement to you here today. Is that I, I have embarked on a journey of raising up elders in the life of this church. Now, Many of you know that we have staff elders, vocational elders, that are on staff and their job uh, they're paid uh, as their salary to be in pastoral ministry. But in the life of Living Word Church, to my knowledge, I don't believe there has ever been what, I don't like the term, but it, it is the common term. I don't believe there's ever been a recognized lay eldership. I don't believe there's ever been a recognized lay eldership in the life of this church in over 40 years. And I have felt, I felt pressed of the Lord that we need elders from the congregation and that there's not this separation between vocational elders and lay elders. And we need men from the congregation that would represent the congregation to come together and to serve alongside the quote-unquote professional elders. So I, again, I don't like that, that title. If you're an elder, whether you're vocational or you are volunteer, you are an elder. It's the same role. And so this is what I have started. I have handpicked some men that I felt could have that calling. And we're going to get into it later on here about what the responsibilities are, what, what, what the expectations are of an elder. And I've examined their lives. I've, I've known their lives. And I've picked some men. And I've begun an eldership training program. And it is a 14-month long program. And so we're going to end at the end of this year. And so the beginning of next year, I'm going to present to you a group of men that have gone through this eldership training program. And we're going to present them for congregation reception. Okay, I'm going to tell you, these are the men that have finished this program. And I'm going to give you two weeks 
So tell me if there's any reason why they should not be an elder in the life of this church. Speak now or forever hold your peace. And then we're going to have an, an ordination service. I'm going to invite the whole church to come on a Sunday night. We're going to bring these men up on stage. I'm going to commission them. I'm going to lay hands on them. The other elders will lay hands on them. And they will be commissioned for elder pastoral shepherding ministry in the life of this church. And these men are men that are business owners, some of them. These men are men that are workers in the community, but they have a, a, a pastoral elder call on their life, and God wants to use them. God wants to use them in the life of this church to be elders and to be pastors. So I just want you to know this is what we're doing. We're in the process of doing this. And I just want to say this. This is not something you sign up for. We're not going to have a sign-up sheet at the front, and you come up and say, hey, I want to be an elder. Can I sign up? No, it's something that if you know that you have a desire to be an elder, to be a pastor, you know that in the depths of your heart. That's something that you feel like God's called you to, come and talk to me personally. But the way in which that will happen on a regular basis as God raises up elders in the life of this church is that, is that God, will, God will help us as elders to see those men in the life of this church, that God's placed his hand on their life to raise them up. And you know what happens? And I just want to give you a little preview of my heart before we transition to the next part of this message. You know what happens is, is that whenever elders are raised up, it's not just vocational elders that work here at Living Word, but it's men throughout this congregation, there are many different walks of life. What happens is, is that when we start to raise up elders, we start planting churches. I want you to know that's my desire. I want to plant churches. I want to see men raised up with pastoral hearts, and I want to send a pastor to to Albania, to El Salvador, to Mexico, to whatever country they feel called to. And we want to plant churches. I want to plant churches in other parts of this country. I want to see men raised up that will take a team from this church and send them out. But you can't plant churches until you raise up men. And God has called throughout Scripture for elders to be raised up, for men to be trained, that are doctrinally solid, that have a conviction about God's Word and a desire to teach it. And we send them out and they fulfill the Great Commission. I want to be a church planting church at Living Word Church. Do you believe that here today? Do you, would you like to see that? So it'll take some time. But this is what we are doing. We're not heroes here. We're not heroes. And that is the first picture you see of a pastor's responsibility. He cannot be a hero. It doesn't rise or fall with me. It doesn't rise or fall with my personality or my gifting. People, people if they're going to come, it's because God's called them to this church. If the church is successful, it's not going to be because of anything good that I do. It's going to be because of God's hand of blessing. And my job as a pastor and the other pastors and elders that are here at this church, that God is going to raise up. The key reason why a church will be blessed is because elders and pastors walk in integrity and holiness and purity. And they seek the Lord in prayer. And they hold high the word of God. We're not heroes here today. No heroes here. A second thing a pastor is called to be is that the text, look back at the text, 1 Peter 5. Listen to what he says. He says, I exhort the elders, the team of elders that are a part of this local church that he's addressing, but now he's, he's exhorting this church. Listen, if you're a pastor here today, this is your job. If you're an elder here today that's being raised up, this is your responsibility. Listen to what he says. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. What does he say there? 
What is the main responsibility of a shepherd? To shepherd, the, the, the main responsibility of an elder. It's to shepherd the flock of God. The second thought here today is that a pastor is a shepherd who feeds and protects God's people. A pastor, an elder, an overseer is a shepherd. That is what a pastor is. He's a shepherd. The word shepherd is a primary descriptive word for the office of elder or pastor. What what does God's word say in Psalm 23 about a shepherd, about the Lord, our chief shepherd? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures so I can eat. A shepherd feeds, leads people to green pastures, to good food, to nourishing food. He leads me beside still water so I can be refreshed in my soul. That's what a shepherd does. He doesn't lead you down poisonous waters. He doesn't lead you down to get and consume food that is bad for you. And then he protects, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And the rod and the staff is a picture of of, of not only correction, but protection. So a shepherd is called to feed and to protect. The role of a pastor in the life of a church does both of those in one way. We feed and protect in one way as a pastor. That's this, it, one function that does both. The primary way in which a pastor protects God's people is by teaching them the word of God. This is how you are protected and this is how you are fed. That is the primary role of an elder and a shepherd in the life of a church is to take the word of God and to give it to God's people. To protect God's people through the teaching and the living and the demonstrating of God's word to the life of the congregation. Do you follow me here this morning? I know you're not pastors here today. I know that this is not your responsibility, but you need to know what I'm responsible for. You need to know what you have to hold me accountable to. If I start preaching these fluffy sermons up here, if I start preaching sermons that aren't based on scripture, call me out. If any man gets in this pulpit and he's not preaching the word of God, shut it down, close the doors, find a new pastor. Because the way in which... People are protected and fed is by the word of God. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Why is that so important? Because the amount of information that is instantly available at your fingertips necessitates that we have a consistent exposure to biblical truth so that we and you, all of us, will be able to filter everything we hear through the lens of Scripture. How much information can you get at the tips of your fingers now? It used to be you had to go to the library to learn about stuff. Who's been to the library lately? Is there anybody? Would you be bold enough to raise your hands? I don't know if there'd be anybody. Yeah, Jacob, you've been to the library? Well, you're Dr. Jacob. I'm glad to have Dr. Jacob Noel here today who goes to the library. (laughs) But, But we don't go to the library. We have the library in our back pocket. We don't have to hunt very hard to find information and the amount of perverse information that is available for all of us to consume worldviews and ideologies that are contrary to scripture we can hear it instantly 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 and here is the issue is that the antichrist spirit of the age of the world is so pervasive it's like a current of the river it's like the mississippi river current that if you jump into that river and that current you will be swept away you will be swept away. You will be led down. If you, if you jump into the current of that river and you embrace what you are receiving in, what you have access to that is not 
line up with scripture, you won't even be able to help it. You'll be swept away. Just as if you jumped into the Mississippi River, you wouldn't even be able to help it. You would just be swept away. And next thing you know, who are you as a Christian? What are your convictions? What are your standards? What do you believe about God's word? What, 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 do, you, what do you actually believe in? And this is, the, this is the age in which we live. I talked about it a week or two ago. It's not that there is truth anymore through the world's lens. It's that we all have our own truth. Our own version of the truth. I heard a famous singer come out and say that she's living her truth now. And that's the idea. That, that you live your truth, I live my truth. There's no objective standard of truth. And there's like a current, a river that will sweep you away. And next thing you know, next thing you know, you don't even recognize your beliefs anymore. You don't even recognize who you are because you've been slowly begun to adopt the ways of the world. And it is my job to hold up the truth of God's word and to compare it to what the culture is saying and to say, here's what God's word says. The culture may say this, the enemy may say this, about marriage, about sexuality, about family, about morals, about right and wrong, about heaven, about hell. But God's word says this. That's how you're fed. That's how you're protected. And I have, if you were to, if, you were to, if I could describe myself to you in one simple illustration it would be this, that I have, I have some batteries in me that are like the strongest batteries that you can buy that power my desires. I'm in overdrive with the desire to protect you. It's like, it's what drives me every single day. When I watch the news, it's the lens with which I see the news. When I look at social media and I see the messages, it's what drives me. When I watch commercials on TV, I think about you. I think about your life. And as elders, you're, if you're an elder here today, is that what you're doing? If you're called to be an elder, do you have that desire? Because that's what you're called to. When I see the messages, I think about you. I think about your kids. I think about our school, Homo Christian school, and the messages that they're hearing. Our kids need protection from the craziness that is in the world. The biblical The need for biblical discernment is at an all-time high. And next week, it'll be at a new all-time high. And the week after that, they're going to break another record. The need for discernment will will be greater. And it'll be greater. And it'll be greater. Can I challenge you for a second? You guys mind if I challenge you? You don't mind, do you? Okay, I'm going to challenge you. I second guess it. I thought about this. I even thought about this this morning, but I'm going to quote somebody that you all probably know. Most of you do. It's in your handout, so I couldn't change my mind. So we're just going to go for it because it's in your handouts. But I, I want you to think about why we need discernment. I was listening to an interview with Brian Houston. You guys know who Brian Houston is? He's, he, he's the global senior pastor for Hillsong Church. And there's been a lot of controversy with Hillsong Church, with moral failures that has taken place in Hillsong's church in different places where they have campuses. And so to his credit, he's going and he's putting himself out there and he's trying to answer these questions. So he tries his best to answer the questions. He was on the, the Today Show, I think it was NBC. 
And the lady's asking him questions about what he thinks. Why did this happen? And is your church too big? And so on and so forth. And, and you would know that any interview where you have a spiritual leader that's there, they're going to ask you about homosexuality. It's going to happen. And sure enough, the lady said, there, 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 there are reports that in Hillsong Church that homosexuals feel like they are neglected, that they are suicidal because of the interactions with your church. What do you say, Pastor Brian? And this is what Brian said. I have a quote, but don't put up the quote yet. I have to preface the quote. This is the first part of what he said. He said, he said I, I, I don't have any bias against, against homosexuals. I like all gays and lesbians. I have no bias against them. And, and I would agree with him. As Christians, we have no bias against anyone, do we? We love everyone because God loves everyone that is lost and wants them to be saved. God wishes that none should perish, that all should come to the knowledge of the truth of Christ. But then he says this. He, he says, this is how I feel. And he says this. Unfortunately, as a pastor, you don't represent what you think. You, have, you represent what the Bible says. And so at this point, we are still conservative on this subject. But it's a journey. So at first glance, you could say, well, he's deflecting to the Bible and says that we believe what the Bible says. But what he did was, was he compared his personal reception of those who live in sinful lifestyles and says, this is how I feel about them. But unfortunately, we follow the Bible. Unfortunately, we follow the Bible. That's a direct quote. And here's what I want to tell you here today. It is the most fortunate thing that we can have God's holy word. And when, when God's holy word is not shaping my thinking enough, that my personal thinking is not in line with God's word, then I've, I've gone off track somewhere. So I, I quote that. And I wasn't going to say his name because I know he's influential. I know a lot of you listen to Hillsong music. But I say it to say this. It could be me that would say something that's like that if I'm not careful with my words. You need discernment. We need discernment today. We can't just be receiving what anybody says because they're a national voice or, uh, or they lead a national church. We must walk in discernment. And it is not unfortunate that we as pastors have the privilege of representing God's holy word. Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, keep a close watch on yourselves and on the teaching. Persist in this. Persist in this. So by, by so doing, you will save both yourselves and, by, and you'll save your hearers. How are people going to be saved? Not by an apologetic tone of scripture. People are going to be saved because I, I backpedal into a belief of scripture as a pastor. If there's anybody that's going to need conviction, it's going to be the ones who are tasked with holding this up. We don't apologize. We stand firm on the truth of God's word. And this is what our calling is. How are people going to be saved? To the preaching of God's word. So, some of you may ask, do we have to keep preaching from the Bible? Can't we just learn how to live a good, successful life? And so if the goal of the Christian life is just to have a successful life, then yes, less scripture and more self-help. That would be, that would be good. If that's the goal of the Christian life. But the goal of the Christian life is that we would be born again. If there's some of you here today and you're not born again, I would do you an injustice if I sat up here and just told you how to have a good marriage and a good life. That's not the role of a shepherd. 
The role of a shepherd is to tell you if you're here today and you're not born again, you've not received Christ as your Savior, that you are under the judgment of God. That's what Scripture says. And that's the best news that I could actually start with, is to tell you that you're under the judgment of God because the good news follows is that God loves the world, those that are under the judgment of God. And he died on the cross. He sent his son to die on the cross so that you would come out, so you could be able to come out from under that judgment. And you could be forgiven. This is why we preach scripture. This is why we don't just tell you how to, how to manage your life, how to cope with your life. This is why shepherds are called to teach scripture, because it is through scripture that people are born again. And it is through scripture that those that are born again become like Christ. Do you believe that? If the word of God is the means by which the most important realities in this life can take place, salvation and Christ-likeness, then preaching of God's word is the most important task a pastor has. It's the most important task. Now we're going to switch here. I want you to go back to the text. Notice what it says. It says, shepherd the flock of God. So Peter tells the elders, you're called to be a shepherd. A shepherd feeds and protects And you do that protecting by feeding, by preaching God's word. But notice what he says here. The the flock belongs to who? Flock belongs to God. Notice what Peter says. He describes the flocks belongs to God. You belong to God. You don't belong to me. You're not my sheep. The flock of God. You belong to him. God has called the elders of the church to take the stewardship of his children. If you belong to Christ, you're his child. It'd be kind of like this. We went on vacation a while back, we went on a cruise with Dr. Noel before he was a doctor. And we left, and his wife, it just wasn't Jacob, it was his wife, Jacob and Amanda. That would be a little awkward, me and Estelle going with Jacob. But we went and we left our kids with Matt and Rachel Carnes. And when I left my kids with Matt and Rachel Carnes, I gave them stewardship of those kids. So that means that when I got back, they better be alive. When I got back, they better be good mentally and physically. (laughs) I don't care what you fed them or how you got it done, but they better be alive. Okay? And I know that Matt and Rachel felt the weight of that because they added four kids to their six. You have six or seven now? Seven. I don't know if you had seven back then. Did you? I'm not sure. But they just keep adding them. But but this this is the picture. This is the picture that God has taken you as his children and he says, Ben... Shepherd my, shepherd my people. Shepherd my children. Ben, pastors, elders, the living word, here. These are my people. They don't belong to you. You can't use them for your own end. You can't take advantage of them, manipulate them. You have to serve them. You got to love them. Here, Ben, here, here, here's the responsibility. And you'll be accountable one day with how you did it. Look back at Acts chapter 20. Look at Acts chapter 20. Paul talks to the Ephesian elders. He says this, pay careful attention to yourselves, speaking to the Ephesian pastors and elders, and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, the flock of God, and listen, which he obtained with his blood. Wow. Can you even imagine that? I shake in my boots when I read that. And if I wore boots, I don't wear boots. I wear loafers, right? I, I, I tremble at that reality. The, the Lord of the church says to pastors that Christ died 
for them. He paid for them with his own blood. I've never died for you. I would if I had to, but I've never died for you. Christ died for you. And if Christ died for you, that means that, that you belong to him. You don't belong to me. It's like, it's like the Lord of the church is raising up, is raising up the accountability by saying, these are not just people that are coming and going in and out. It doesn't really matter if they're here or where they are or where they're going. He's saying, no, these people that are children of God that belong to Christ, Christ paid the ransom for their sins and he shed his blood so that they could be forgiven and he, they belong to him and, and I am entrusting them to your spiritual care. Wow. Because you don't belong to me. Here's the implication to this. Listen very carefully. Because you don't belong to me, because I'm only a steward, because I didn't purchase you with my blood, then I will fulfill my responsibility God's way. I will fulfill my responsibility God's way. The way he says in his word, you belong to him and so I must feed you and protect you in the way he tells me to in scripture. It's my responsibility. And you can like it or not like how I do it, But I can promise you one thing. As long as I'm in this pulpit, by God's grace, whoever is in this pulpit, by God's grace, we're going to open the Bible. We're going to tell you, turn to this chapter and this verse. And we're going to do our best, holding on to God, to explain to you what that text means, how it applies to your life, and how God wants to mature you in your faith. That's what we're going to do. Because that's how God prescribed that we would do it. And you're his kids. And we do it his way. The last thing a pastor's to be is that a pastor is a man who willingly leads with godly character and humility. Look back at the text. I charge the elders, shepherd the flock of God. And how should you do it? Exercising oversight. Not under compulsion, but willingly. As God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Four attributes right here that must be a part of the elder pastor's life. Willingness. Willingness. What does that word willingness mean? It means intentional and purposeful. Willing. Not under compulsion. Nobody's putting a gun to my head. Nobody's telling me, Ben, you got to do this. God's not saying, Ben, you have to do this. I have a desire to do it. I'm willing. I have a, I'm, I'm intentional in my desire. I must be willing, not under compulsion, willingly, as God would have you. Eager. You know what eagerness means? It means there's an intense desire that you cannot get rid of. It's an intense desire to shepherd God's people. And then you must lead with humility. Humility. It says, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, and not domineering over those in, in your charge. It's not my way or the highway. I, don't, I can't rule with the iron fist. I can't walk around and, and, and bark orders at people on staff or in the congregation. It's got to be my way. No, we have to have a heart of humility, not domineering over those that you're responsible for. And lastly, a life to be followed, but being examples to the flock. My life has to be lived in such a way that when you look at my life, that you can follow me as I follow Christ. That's what I'm accountable to. It's very similar to 1 Timothy 3. I want to read this real quick. It's so important. You guys follow me. The the burgers are in the warmers. We're almost done. Okay? It's ready. It's back there. Just a little. You come back there. It's free. Free food right after. I fed you spiritual food. We're going to feed you physical food. We got water slides. All that. Just give me a couple more minutes. 
First Timothy 3. These are the qualifications straight from scripture for pastors and elders. Paul says this. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, elder, pastor, same word. He desires a noble task. So you could be here and you have an aspiration and a desire. That is a noble desire. What's God going to do with that? Maybe you are called to this role. Therefore, an overseer must be what? Above reproach. That is the overarching responsibility that I have to be above reproach in my life. What does above reproach mean? It, it means this. The overarching qualification is to be above reproach. This means, that, that, this means living a life that is above having accusations confirmed. Okay, someone might accuse. Like someone could accuse you of anything, me of anything, right? But the life of an elder pastor is one that easily confirms that the rumors are not true. That if somebody accused me of something and you know my life and people that are in my life know my life, my life easily confirms. No, that's not true. This is the above reproach life. Okay, so what does that above reproach look like? Paul expounds. Here are the qualifications of the above reproach life. You're the husband of one wife. The husband of one wife. That means you're not a multi-woman man. It means you don't, you don't have your wife and you got a lady on the side. It means you walk in sexual purity. You don't have a lady on the side physically or on your cell phone. On your computer. You are sexually pure. You're a one-woman man. You're sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. Not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle. Not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. I'm working on it. <laughs> I'm working on it. We're not there yet. Lord, help us. Don't come tell me I'm disqualified because Reagan does something she shouldn't do. She's rebellious. She's going to do that. For if someone doesn't know how to manage a household his own household, how can he care for God's house? What does that mean? It means that if my house is in disarray, that means that my marriage is in shambles. That means that, that my kids are running away from the Lord and I'm devoting myself to shepherding you, shepherding you, shepherding you, and my house is not in order. I'm a fool if I don't address my house and get that in order, make sure that my family is okay. Because I can't care for you if, I, if my family is not being cared for. Do you guys follow that? He must not be a recent convert. I didn't get saved last week or in March 4th of 2018 when I became the pastor. That's not my salvation date, right? A pastor must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into the snare of the devil. Those are the qualifications. And there's one skill built into those qualifications. All of them are character traits. There's one skill it says that you need to be able to teach, apt to teach. You have, you have a desire to teach and you have an ability to teach God's word. It may not be in this pulpit, but it could be in a smaller setting on a Wednesday, in a D group, in a life group. But as an elder, you have a desire and an ability to teach God's word to God's people. Now listen to what James 3.1 says about that. Not many of you should become teachers. So if you've been thinking through this message, this is me, this is me, I want to be an elder. Hold up. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, greater accountability. Okay, it's almost burger time. So why should this matter to you? What kind of impact does this have on your life? I think I've explained that. 
But why, what kind of impact does it have on your life? And I try to think of a section of scripture to demonstrate this. To drive the point home. And I couldn't think of a better section than Ezekiel 34. What kind of impact does this have on your life? Whether or not a pastor that you're submitted to, his leadership, obeys or not obeys God in his stewardship of you. What impact does that have on your life? We're going to look at the negative impact of what it looks like when shepherds don't do their job. Israel had shepherds who didn't do their job. And listen to the weight of what the Lord says. Ezekiel 34. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, ah, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves. You, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you've not bound up, and the strayed you have not brought back. The lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. They became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered all over, over all the mountains and over every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my sheep have become a prey and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts, Since there was no shepherd, and because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep, therefore you shepherds hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my sheep at their hand, and I'll put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths, that they may not be food for them. Did you hear? They've not fed. They've not fed. They've not fed. They've fed themselves. They've not fed. They've not fed. God will judge unfaithful shepherds. He will replace them with true shepherds that are faithful to his heart. This shows you how much God loves you. This shows you how much God loves you, that he will judge me. For how I lead you and what I do and I don't do. It shows you how much. Listen, that is so profound. I got to stop it. Let's think about that again. Listen to this. God will judge me. He'll judge me. Me. Because of you. And if I do my job or I don't. Wow. How much does God love you? How much does God love you? That he would judge men who are unfaithful to take care of you. He loves you so much. He wants you to be guarded and protected by by shepherds who are after his heart. Who are more concerned about your spiritual well-being than popularity or crowds. He wants shepherds after his heart. Because he loves you. And that's so good. He loves you. He loves you so much. That he gives stewardship of your spiritual care to faithful and godly men. Godly men who will pray for you. We pray for you. We pray for you. We call out to God for you, for your soul. 
that you would be holy and pure, that you would be what God's called you to be. We pray for you as pastors on Tuesdays when you write those prayer requests. Don't quit writing prayer requests and putting them on the prayer wall. We read every single one of them. We open them up. We read them. We call you out by name. We pray for you that you would be sanctified. That you would not be swept away by the, the river of this antichrist culture. So I want to end with this. I would encourage you to pray for your pastors. Pray for those that are in this eldership program that they would feel the weight of this responsibility that they are fixing to step into. Pray for your pastors. Pray for their spiritual growth and protection. As the pastor goes, so goes the church. If I, we quit growing, the church quits growing. If we're not growing spiritually, I can't lead you somewhere I'm not. If I quit digging the well, there's nothing to pull from. Pray that we would grow. And that we would live lives that are worth emulating. Pray for continued courage to boldly declare biblical truth with conviction. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word today. God, we thank you for what your word shows us is the responsibility of shepherds. I thank you for what you're doing in the life of this church that you're raising up men who have a desire to take upon this responsibility to lead your sheep. And I pray that this church, that this church from the inside out would grow healthy and strong because of the sanctifying work of the shepherds that are among us. That we would grow healthy from the inside out. That we would grow healthy in our marriages and healthy in our relationship with our kids. That, that we would forgive more and, not, and be offended less. You gotta pray that we would be a church that reflects your glory. It would be missional, that we would be evangelistic. That we will be all that you called us to be. And that as shepherds and pastors, that we would lead the way. In a humble attitude and submission to you as the chief shepherd. God, I pray all of these things in your name. And I thank you for this congregation. Bless them today. Help us have a great time today fellowshipping. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.